if you would, to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. What do you think of, or what image pops into your mind uh, when you think of the word contrast? Legal binding. Uh, I heard apples and oranges. Well, that, that's, that's the first thing that pops into my head. So I have a picture of for you. Here, here you go. Apples and oranges, okay? Um, you know, uh, honestly, you know, uh, you know what, what do people often say? Well, we, we don't want to be comparing apples to oranges. We want, you know, we don't, we, we want to compare apples with apples and oranges with oranges. So oftentimes this idea of apples and oranges is a, is a contrast in, in, in our thinking. <clears throat> and there, there is a huge difference between an apple and an orange. But have you ever stopped to think about the similarities between an apple and an orange? Okay. Um, I, I just real quickly came up with four similar characteristics between an apple and an orange. Number one, they're both supposed to be eaten. Right? <clears throat> now, if you... Now, I had a friend of mine growing up who was a nut, um, but w- whenever at school, whenever we got oranges, he would trade me his inside for my outside. He he loved the peels. And, and he would eat my peel and I'd eat his inside. And, you know, we had a great relationship. Um, but, um, no, they're both supposed to be eaten. Another... Uh, uh, commonality is the fact that they're both considered fruit, right? Um, they both have seeds, and they both have a skin. Okay, those are just some commonalities that I just I just thought of very quickly. But oftentimes, when we think of opposites, we think of apples and oranges because they are so different. But they can be the they can be very similar. This morning, uh, we're going to look at uh, a uh, a parable about two people that are complete opposites. You can you cannot find two people in the Bible that are more opposite than the two people we're going to be talking about this morning. The first one is a religious man. He's a Pharisee, and he he cares about what people think about him. The second one is a woman who is described as a sinner. Uh, we we believe most theologians believe that she more than likely was a was a prostitute, but we don't know. <clears throat> but she didn't care what people thought about her. She was going to do what she wanted to do. Two very different people but they will share one common thing, and that is Jesus Christ. They encounter Jesus Christ in a single event that we're going to be reading about this morning. Luke chapter 7, let's start reading 
in verse 41. This is, this is the parable. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed 500 pence and the other 50. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him most? And Simon, Simon is the Pharisee, not Simon Peter, the, the apostle, but Simon the Pharisee. Simon answered and said, I suppose he to whom he forgave most. And he said unto him, Thou hast rightly judged. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for your love. And Lord, we thank you for the word of God that changes lives. And we are so thankful and grateful that we are able to come together this morning to learn and to grow. We ask that you would speak to our hearts, that you would encourage us, help us to be more like you. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. The, The title of my message this morning is this, The Parable of Forgiveness. The Parable of Forgiveness. This parable is simple to understand, uh, but the the meaning of this parable is is profound. We we oftentimes read these different parables that we've been studying, uh, and we we read them and we think, wow, that okay, that makes sense. But very seldom do we ever dig into them and and really look at what God is trying to teach us through these things. So. <clears throat> This morning, we're going to dig into this parable and see what what God has for us this morning. Now, many of you that have been coming here for uh, several years know that uh, June 23rd, this last uh, last June 23rd, was my um, my birthday, my spiritual birthday. I um, I was saved in uh, June 23rd, 1980s. So it's 42 years I've been saved, or 43 years. Yeah, 43 years. <clears throat> 43 years ago, well, actually, it started before that. Let me back up. <clears throat> By the time I was 16, I was an alcoholic. There's a lot of reasons for that, but anyway... Uh, at the, at the age of 16, I was an alcoholic, and one of the things that kind of pushed me in that direction was my brother. My brother uh, committed suicide when he was in prison when I was 16. The reason he was in prison was a result of drug usage. <clears throat> So when I progressed through my teen years, I, I got into high school and I became a senior in high school and I, I, I knew I knew that if I did not make a major change in my life that I would end up like my brother, either dead or in prison. So I joined the Navy. <laughs> and to be honest, my lifestyle got worse in the Navy. 
I met a guy named Joe. And I'm, I'm cutting my testimony really short to, to get to a point. I met a guy named Joe, and Joe, he and I became drinking buddies. And we were sitting in a bar one night, and he'd been acting a little strange, and he looked at me, he says, Rick, this is my last beer. I said, yeah, it's getting kind of late, and we probably got to get back to the ship. And he said, no, you don't understand. Anyway, that, that evening, before we went to bed, he, he, he pulled me aside, and he explained to me that he was a backslidden Christian. And this is what he said to me. He said, Rick, he said, from this day forward, I'm going to live for God. And he shared the gospel with me, and that was the first time I'd ever heard the gospel. And he invited me. To, he said, Rick, do you want to get saved? And I said, you know, actually, uh, no. <laughs> and I turned around and walked away. And for three weeks, God worked on my heart. And I remember walking around the ship about three weeks after this event, crying out to God, saying, God, what do you want from me? Not understanding what God was doing in my life. I happened across another guy that I had never met before on the ship. I walked past him and he says, hey, you, come here. So I turned around and walked back and he, said, he stuck his finger in my face. He says, are you a Christian? And had he asked me that a couple weeks earlier, I honestly don't know what I'd have said. But because of what had taken place in my life since Joe witnessed to me, I, didn't, I, I looked and I said, no, I'm not. And he says, do you want to be? I said, you know, as a matter of fact, I do. And he led me to Christ June 23rd, 1980, on board the USS Frank Cable, Charleston, South Carolina. I tell you that story to tell you this. Because of my life prior to being saved, I have a lot to be thankful for. I've had people tell me, I've witnessed to them, and, I, and they say, but, but you needed God. I don't need God. My life is okay. I feel sorry for people like that. I've had young people that uh, wanting to live wild lives tell me, well, you've had your fun. It's time for me to have my fun. And, and you know, I have much to be thankful for. God has transformed my life. And I, I do not say this lightly. I say this with all the sincerity that I can muster. Had I not gotten saved when I did, I believe today I would be either dead or in prison. Because my life was spinning out of control quickly. And I was following in the footsteps of my brother. I have much to be thankful for. But then you have people like my wife Talk about apples and oranges. She grew up in church. 
she still turns red when I tell her stories of my childhood. She has, she has no idea of some of the things that I did and, and went through as a young person. People like my children who have grown up in church. It is easier for them to lose sight of what Christ has done. In this parable, in verse 43, Jesus asked, well, in verse 42, at the end of verse 42, he says, he says, tell me, therefore, which of them will love him most? And, and who's he really talking about? He's talking about God. But he says, who will love them most? And, and, and Simon answered and said, I suppose he whom he, uh, he forgave most. And he said unto him, thou hast rightly judged. Oftentimes we think because people like me that have the testimony that I have Oh, well, you'll live for God a whole lot easier than somebody like my wife who grew up in church. And that, and that may be true, but I, I hope it's not. And we'll see, and as we go through this, hopefully you'll see what I'm trying to communicate this morning. Point number one this morning let's look at the heart of Christ. Let's look at the heart of Christ. And I believe we see the heart of Christ in verse 36. So let's back up a little bit and look at verse 36. It says, And one of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. You think, okay, well, how does that show the heart of Christ? What was... Christ, one of the criticisms of the Pharisees oftentimes was that Christ <clears throat> would sit down and eat with sinners. They, they threw that up in his face often. Oh, he, he, he eats with sinners. In Mark chapter 2 and verse 16, it says this, And when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eat with publicans and sinners, they said unto his disciples, How is it that he eateth and drinketh with publicans and sinners? Again, that's one of the greatest criticisms that Christ had, was that he would eat with people like you and me. And I praise God for that. Because there is an incredible truth in that. And the fact is, Jesus loves sinners. Jesus loves sinners, and, and because he loves sinners, he loves me. And one of the reasons it took three weeks for me to get saved was because I, I knew me, and my friend Joe kept telling me, God loves you and he wants you to get saved. And I could not get past the fact that God could love someone like me because I knew me. And I didn't even like who I saw. But you telling me that God loves me? I like what Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 15. 
this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Paul, one of the, probably the greatest Christian to ever live, makes the statement that he is the chief of sinners. Boy, what does that make us? Christ came to die for all men, sinners and religious people. Jesus loved this Pharisee as much as he loved the sinners that we read about in Mark chapter 2. That's why Jesus sat down to eat with this Pharisee because he loved him as much as he would love a sinner. The heart of Christ. Number two, let's look at the contrasting characters. The contrasting characters. In verse 36, let's read again through verse 40. And one of the Pharisees desired that he would uh, eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. And behold, a woman of the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster box of ointment. And she stood at his feet behind him, weeping, and, and uh, began to wash his feet with tears, and did wipe them with her hair and her head, and kissed, <clears throat> and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee, which had uh, bidden him, saw it, he spake within himself, saying, This man, if, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him. And she, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And he saith, Master, say on. We see the contrast of these two individuals, the, 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 the apple and the orange, if you would. The difference between these two people. But I want to look at some common characteristics of these two individuals. The first one, is they both wanted to meet with Jesus. The Pharisee invited Jesus, and she she came to meet Jesus. They both wanted to meet Jesus. Another common characteristic is they were both people uh, whom Jesus would die for. They they both had desires and physical needs. But most importantly... They both had spiritual needs. And that's what Jesus was there for. For this unique encounter to help meet the spiritual needs of two very special people. So, let's look at them individually. Let's look at the woman first. The Bible tells us that she's a sinner. We don't know exactly what that means. But what we do know is that she had a really 
for lack of better terms, a very bad reputation within the city. She was a sinner, and everybody knew it. Another thing that we know is she brought a box of uh, an alabaster box. Now, alabaster, I actually did some research on it just to make sure I, under, I knew for sure what it was. And alabaster uh, is a uh, stone commonly found in Israel. Uh, uh, it was a hard stone resembling white marble and is referred to uh, as one of the precious stones used in decorating Solomon's temple in First Chronicles chapter 29. <clears throat> so the container the woman used uh, to carry the perfumed oil was made of white marble-like substance. The boxes were uh, often sealed uh, and made fast with wax to prevent um, the perfume from escaping. Okay, so, so this woman comes in with a box, an alabaster box. Again, um, oftentimes it was used for the specific reason for um, carrying uh, per, uh, oil with perfume mixed in it. Um, <clears throat> another thing that we know about this woman is that she was very courageous. Now, now, think about this. Where is Jesus eating his meal? At the, at the Pharisee's house. Okay? Now, the, the setting here is, is a little different from what, what we might think about, and we'll get more into that in a minute. But it was uh, the, these meal things were often open to the public, but the only people that were allowed to eat were the ones who were invited to it. So whenever there was a, an important meeting like this, people were allowed to come and stand around and watch, but they were not allowed to participate in the conversation or the meal. Okay, so that's what's taking place here. It is at this guy's house, the, uh, Simon the Pharisee's house. So the fact that she even comes is, shows that she's a courageous woman because do you think Simon would have invited her. Absolutely not. She would have been probably the last person in the world that he would have ever invited to his house. But she went anyway, knowing that she was not welcome. Her desire to see Jesus was greater than the fear of men. And as I, as, I, as I sat and I, I contemplated just that one truth, she, she had such a great desire. She didn't care what other people thought. She wanted to see Jesus Christ. And, I've, and, and God, God pricked my heart. And, I, and honestly, I thought, sitting at my desk the other day, I thought, oh, my soul. How many times have I cowered away from Jesus Christ because of the fear of men? Shame on us. How many times have I, have I wanted to say something to someone, but I'm fearful because I don't want to hurt somebody's feelings? 
this woman was a courageous woman. And her desire to see Jesus was paramount above all things. We can learn a lot from her. Another thing that we know about this, this woman is that, that this was an intentional visit. She, she did not just happen to be walking by and say, hey, I wonder what's going on over at Simon's house. Uh, I'm going to go check it out. Oh, hey, there's Jesus. Yeah. No, <clears throat> we know because the Bible clearly say, says that she brought the alabaster box. So that talks about intent. She knew how she knew. We don't know. But somehow she knew that Jesus was going to be at Simon's house. And she went home, got her box of uh, alabaster box of perfume, and she was on a mission. It was not an accident. It was something intentional. Now I'm going to make a statement here, and this is this is what I believe. I have no proof of what I'm about to say. Okay. This is what I believe. I believe that her and Jesus had met previously somewhere, somehow, some way, and she had gotten saved. And she was so full of joy and excitement that when she heard that Jesus was going to be at Simon's house, what she did was an act of of gratitude for what Jesus had done. That, that's what I believe. Now, whether or not that's what happened, I don't know, but that's what I believe. Because is that not how we should react when Jesus, when we, when we get saved? I remember the night I got saved. <clears throat> for the first time in my life, I, I well, let me back up. <clears throat> there had been many times in my life from the time I was 16 to the time I got saved, that I would, I would literally look down because I felt like I had a hole in my soul. And I would literally, I would look down and I would, I would feel, because I felt like I had a hole. And I tried everything the world had to offer to fill that hole. But it was always there. And the night I got saved, I was laying in my bed and I was so excited. And I and I and I said for the and I and I literally looked down and I touched my chest and I said, It's gone. Jesus had made me whole. And I remember laying in bed and I and the only thing I'd only been saved to maybe 15 or 20 minutes. So what I'm about to say is kind of like not in the Bible, but I did it. The only thing I could associate this feeling was the fact that I had just prayed and asked Christ to come into my heart. So I'm laying in the bed 15, 20 minutes after I was saved, and I started confessing every sin that I could ever remember committing. And it took a while. And I got to the point where I couldn't think of anything else. And I started committing, I started confessing sins that my brother had committed. And I, and I am not exaggerating. I, I, my thought was, well, in case the bookkeeping upstairs isn't too good. 
I don't want to get blamed for something he did. But I was so excited. I got up the next day. I started telling everybody about him. I didn't know what I was telling them. I just telling them I was excited about Jesus Christ. Probably said some crazy things. But you know what? I was excited. And I believe with all my heart that's exactly the, the emotion that this lady is going through. Let's talk about the Pharisee for a minute. I believe, again, that his invitation to Jesus was genuine. I don't, I don't see any trickery or anything involved in this invitation. I believe the invitation was genuine. We know that he was outraged at Jesus when the woman and the woman for, quote-unquote, interrupting his dinner party. And I, we'll get into this a little bit more, but something else we know about this uh, is he was not a very good host. We'll get into that more in a minute. Um, but one of the problems that he had was he did not, or, or did not, or could not, I don't know which would be the right word, but he did not understand the passion that this woman had. I remember after I got saved, me, you know, I was passionate about everything about church. I, I just wanted to be at church. I didn't care, you know, if I was cutting grass, if I was, it didn't matter. I wanted to be at church all the time. I still do. I just love being around God's people. But he didn't understand the passion that she had. And his greatest problem was really simple. He was blind to his own spiritual needs. That was the problem. He, he had no problem identifying her problems. But he never saw his own. And aren't, aren't we good at that? And we can see other people's problems and we have no problem telling them about their problems. Right? But this guy saw all her problems but never stopped to realize that he might have some of his own. This parable that Jesus gives clearly levels the playing field, if you would. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. They are both, they, both of these individuals have debt that needs to be paid. One, one of them had, a, had an accumulated a lot of debt. The other one, not so much. But they both had debt. And in the parable, what, what happens? They were unable to pay the debt. Let me ask you, spiritually, are you able to pay your debt? No. doesn't matter if it's one or a million. It doesn't matter. You can't pay it. That's why we need Jesus Christ. They were both sinners. 
they both had debt. The only difference between the two of them was the amount of debt, just as in the parable. I want to draw your attention, though, to something very, very interesting that kind of that kind of uh, helps us understand his his irateness. Is that even a word? Irateness. His his it is today. There you go. Um, his his displeasure with Jesus. Okay, um, and that is this. In, in verse forty, it says, "And Jesus answered and said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat." to say unto thee, and he said, Master, say on. The word master here is the same word that would be used for rabbi. Okay, so who is this? This is a Pharisee, a religious, a high-up level uh, religious guy within the Jewish community. And he calls Jesus a rabbi. And by doing that, you, you, you have to, again, understand the culture. It was absolutely forbidden for a rabbi to talk to any woman in public. So please understand what, it, what, what the, the mind of Simon, the, 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 the Pharisee here, is, is he is looking at Jesus and he calls him rabbi, master, teacher. Not he does he wasn't looking at Jesus as just a another person, but as a rabbi. Significant, significant statement. So let's look at the lessons to be taught here. The lessons to be taught. <clears throat> Verse 44 and following. And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, See thou this woman. I entreat. Uh, uh, excuse me, I entered into thine house. Thou gavest me no water for my feet, but she hath washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman, since the time I came in, hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst not anoint, but the, this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I say unto her, therefore I say unto thee, her sin, uh, her sins which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same little, uh, the same loveth little. And he said unto her. Thy sins are forgiven. And they that sat at meat with him began to say within themselves, Who is this that forgiveth sins also? And verse 50, And he said to the woman, Thy faith has saved thee. Go in peace. There are several things that we can learn from this parable. As we as we kind of wind this down, there's actually three that I that I thought of. The first one is that we are all equal in the eyes of Christ. We are all equal in the eyes of Christ. Look at verse 44. Jesus says something here that is absolutely amazing. 
Again, remember, remember what Simon had called him, rabbi. Again, let me remind you, a rabbi was not allowed to speak to a woman in public. But what does Jesus do in verse 44? And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, See thou this woman. By doing this, he demonstrate he was demonstrating her importance to him. Acts chapter 10, verse 34. And Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. To God there is no difference between man and woman. There is no difference in race, color, creed, nation, tongue. Revelation chapter 7 and verse 9, we will all stand before God one day. If we're saved, this is a picture of, of that very thing. After this, I beheld and lo, a great multitude which no man could number of all nations, all kindreds, all people and tongues uh, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. One day, everyone that is saved will stand before Jesus and we will all praise Him, all nations, all tongues, all people. We are all equal in the eyes of God. We're all equal. Number letter B. And this is this is one of the ones that I think this is this is really I think the pivotal point of this whole this whole uh, parable. So we all fall short. We all fall short. I believe with all my heart that the verses that we just read, verse 44 uh, through 50. Jesus was not criticizing Simon. I don't believe he was. But I believe what he was doing was telling Simon, hey, look, you fell short. You fell. You, you, you failed the test of hospitality. And in that culture, hospitality was, was huge. Jesus uses three things to help Simon understand how he failed. The washing of the feet, the greeting with a kiss, and the anointing with oil or, or the anointing with perfume. So let's talk about these three things for a minute because this is, again, this, these three things are not necessarily in our culture today. We don't quite understand it. But oftentimes when we think that, okay, the disciples got together for a meal we often think of <clears throat> this picture that I, I have for you. Chris, can you put that up, please? Is that not what we think? Leonardo's Da Vinci of the Last Supper? This is, this is what most people think of when they, they think of uh, uh, Jesus and his disciples sitting down at a meal. But this is not even close to what it is. Okay, This is not even close to reality. This is Leonardo's Da Vinci 
uh, his version of the Last Supper. But this is this. Anyway, I got another picture for you. It looked more like this. Okay, the table was very low to the ground. They they had pillows all around, and they would lean on their left elbow, and they would eat with their right hand. And they lay, and they they all it was a, a prone position, if you would. So the meal that Jesus was at this day would have looked something like this, not like Leonardo da Vinci's picture. So having this image in your mind, how important do you think it would be to wash your feet? <laughs> yeah, you think? <laughs> because very likely your feet are going to be very close to the face of someone else who's trying to eat. So it was very common, it was very common <clears throat> to clean your feet particularly before you sat down to eat for sanitary sake but it was it was just a it was a courtesy thing because they didn't have paved roads you know they had a few stone roads here and there but for the most part the roads were what dirt so so just walking around the corner your feet would get dirty so it was just common courtesy that when you entered somebody's house, they would have a basin of water. The rich people would have a servant to wash your own, wash your feet, but everybody would have a basin of water so that you could sit down and wash your own feet if you needed to. So this is this is what it would look, would have looked like. The second thing is the greeting with a kiss. Um, again, we don't do this in our culture, but it would be very similar to. Uh, somebody coming to your house, wh what is the most common way we greet people? With a handshake. You know, if you lived in Italy, you kiss them on the cheek. You know, I don't know. You know, but that, that, that's, that's what it is. So now, now let me ask you a question. If, if uh, <clears throat> I was in, to invite Ron over to my house, and he comes to my house, and I stick my hand out, and I say, hey, how are you doing? And, 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 and he doesn't return the handshake, what is that? It's an insult. So by this man not greeting Jesus with a kiss was an insult. The third thing was anointing the head with perfume. Again, this is something we don't deal with in our culture a whole lot. <clears throat> but eating a meal like this um, it's an up, up and close experience. You know, I mean, you're literally like right there with people. It's up close and personal. And guess what had not been invented yet? Deodorant. <laughs> Deodorant was nothing. I mean, there was no such thing as deodorant. So guess what would happen? It'd be a smelly opportunity, uh, uh, experience, excuse me. It, it would be a smelly experience. And, and what do you think? What, when I was growing up, 
I, I worked for a, an electrician uh, uh, a couple summers before I went in the Navy uh, when I was in high school. And this electrician specialized in dairy farms. And guess where I ate most of my lunches all summer long? In a barn. And, you know, at first, at first, it was like eating what you were around, okay? Didn't matter what I was eating, it tasted like what I was around. And so what do you think the meal would taste like? Milk. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it was it would it would not be good. So again, it was common practice that when before you ate, you would take a little oil laced with perfume because the the perfume would evaporate quickly, but the oil and that's perfume today is just oil with smell smelly stuff in it. <clears throat> but the oil, they would place it on their head close to what? their nose, <laughs> so it would help block out a lot of the odor so that they could then enjoy the meal. So this is the scenario that was taking place. But Simon, the, the Pharisee, did none of those three things. And what Jesus was saying, and again, this is my opinion, but I, I believe what, Simon, what Jesus was saying is, Simon, you fell short. But she picked up where you fell short. You didn't wash my feet. You didn't greet me with a kiss. You did not anoint my head so that I can enjoy my meal. But she did all those things. Where you failed, she excelled. My point is this. We all fail. Even the best of us fail. And you have to understand that Simon, being a Pharisee, would have been the best of the society, humanly speaking. He was the religious, religious, religious person in the community. Yet he failed. And I believe that, that what Jesus was pointing out is that we all will fall short. In Romans chapter 3 and verse 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We have all come short. We all fail. But Jesus covers our failure with his blood. What a wonderful picture of forgiveness in this parable. A wonderful, wonderful picture. So lessons to be taught. Number one, the first one was we are all equal in his eyes. Number two, uh, we all fall short. And then number three, we are saved through faith. We're saved through faith. 
Verse 47. Wherefore, I say unto thee, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. And he said unto her, thy sins are forgiven. And they that sat at meat with him began to say within themselves, who is this that forgiveth sins also? Before we read verse 50, let me say this. I, I can't help but wonder if, if, if there have, were people sitting at that table with Jesus and, and Simon that day that started thinking, wow, I wonder if he is forgiving her sins because she washed his feet with her tears and her hair. I'm, I wonder if he's forgiving her because she had the audacity to kiss his feet, which in that society would have been really weird because, like I said, people's feet were dirty. But yet she kissed her feet, his feet, excuse me, showing great thankfulness and gratitude and humility. I wonder if... He forgave her because she spent all that money on that ointment and she just poured it on his feet. Again, you don't pour perfume on the feet. You put it on the head. And you don't, it was so valuable. <clears throat> Excuse me. You didn't just pour it. You, you used a drop or two at a time. It'd be like going to a department store getting a whole bottle of perfume and just opening it up and just dumping it on your feet. You wouldn't do that. But this was, a, this was such a sign of humility, but I can't help but wonder if there were people there thinking, why, it, why is he forgiving her sins? Look at verse 50. And he said to the woman, thy faith, has saved thee. Go in peace. And he, he answered the question that was taking place in the hearts of the people. I believe that's what he was doing. I, I believe he was answering the question, why was he forgiving the sin? Because, because of all the stuff that she did? No, it was her faith. And Jesus was putting to rest the, the question of, hey, can I earn my salvation? He was putting it to rest saying, no, you can't. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, and not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Because if she could have earned the forgiveness of sin by her tears and, and washing her uh, his feet with her hair and, and kissing his feet and pouring ointment, guess what we would be doing? We would be doing the same thing to earn our way to heaven. And Jesus says, no, that's not why I... That's not why I did it. It was but her faith. And it is our faith that saves us. That night, June 23rd, it was nothing that I did because trust me, there was nothing I could do. But by simply putting my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. This morning I started talking about contrast between apples and oranges. 
And as I, as I got deeper into this parable and studying, and I came up in my mind with what I consider the greatest contrast in the world. A holy, perfect God that could love a sinner like me. There is no greater contrast in the world. And not only could He love me, but He would die for me. He would die for you. Simon was a religious man who had probably lived a good life. And this whole encounter... Do you you think when Jesus was invited to Simon's house that Jesus knew that this woman was going to do what she did? Absolutely he knew. Why? Because he was God. He knew what was going to happen. And he, again, again, this is just the way I think. I believe that Jesus Christ said, hey, this is a great opportunity to show my love to Simon. Because again, I believe she was saved before at, at, at another appointment. I, I just do. But she just so wanted to show her gratitude for what Jesus Christ had done. Jesus, in his heart, I believe, thought, what a great opportunity for me to show that same love to Simon. He's a debtor. Now, his, 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 his list of offenses was shorter than hers, but he still needed to be forgiven the debt, just like you and me. For God so loved the world. John chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting God, love, excuse me, have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. This morning, what kind of debt are you carrying? Has your sins been forgiven? Or are you carrying a debt? Jesus loves the entire world. He died for your sin and for mine. June 23, 1980, I accepted that gift. And for 43 years, God has been transforming my life. And he will continue to do that until he calls me home. Say, but you're a, you're a pastor. You, you, you're not supposed to be a sinner. You know what? You don't know me. <laughs> and the reality is this. If you are saved this morning, you're a sinner saved by grace. Through faith. There's nothing for any of us to get 
pious about. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank You for this day. Thank You for Your love and for the work You do in our lives. And Lord, we ask that You would speak to our hearts, that You would encourage us, that You would strengthen us. And Lord, that You would help us to look deep into our hearts and our lives and help us to, to see and to know our need for You in our lives. With every head bowed and every eye closed,